0: It's scary. Parishes Monday, December thirty first, two thousand eighteen. Welcome back to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me. And I know on Sunday night podcast we told you uh, that it would be the final podcast of two thousand eighteen, and that was actually the plan. But then Steve offer got fired late Sunday, early Monday. And we decided to record again because if we waited till Wednesday to record again, the news would feel like ancient news by then. So here we are on New Year's Eve talking about college basketball like a couple of nerds. And the idea here is not to do like another hour, hour, 20 minutes because we have families and they probably are in the process of hating us. So let's dive right in, Norlander. (laughs) Let's just start with your initial thoughts on UCLA. Pulling the plug on Steve Offer, 13 games into his sixth season in Westwood.
1: Yeah, this whole parish, this whole thing feels out of place. Just inter not the not the firing, but this kind of podcast, like a coach got fired, hired, emergency. This is all very March to us. Okay, this is a totally weird on New Year's Eve doing this. We love our listeners. We do this for you because uh, it is timely. The, I am having a brutal week. Um, pick Nevada to lose at Utah. I said literally less than eight hours before it happened, that I did not think Steve Alford would be fired before March. I I think it's safe to say that when I made that statement, um, given the agents and lawyers that were probably involved, um, th- that was in the process of actually happening right then and there. So uh, the coldest of cold takes there. I stand with most of what I said on the previous podcast, though, in that, listen, if you got to do it now, do it now. I, I don't think... I don't think this is going to markedly make your season better. I don't think UCLA from here on out is going to be Um, incredibly better from what it would have been under Alford, but you lose to Liberty. uh, This is, this is what happens. I actually did reach out to Liberty's, uh, to Liberty's coach in in light of this. And I said, you're the one who ended it. But uh, Richie McKay is the coach at Liberty. Um, He defended Steve as, as so many in the fraternity would. I mean, he said, listen, the deal that he had there was really hard. I think he actually did a pretty good job overall. Um, We happen to have a really good night. So congrats to Richie McKay and the, and Liberty, which has a good shot uh, of making the NCAA tournament in its own league, there. Um, I don't, I don't outright reject it, um, but yeah, just bizarre timing here on on New Year's Eve, and and I guess you know those who broke the news broke it in over overnight, like uh, two four seven sports had it. Seth Davis tweeted it out, and we're talking well after one a.m. on the East Coast that this all went down. So um, here we are again, Parish. Hey, if anything, it makes for a compelling discussion and an interesting storyline here. And it's the last big storyline, technically, of 2018. And the carousel is officially now flickered into motion as UCLA has an opening. And obviously, we'll get to the candidates shortly.
0: Yeah, I have three sons, two of whom are young. So I do not stay up nearly as late as I did in in a previous life. And so... Um, I, I was asleep before the news broke, and woke up to uh, the news. I actually, woke up uh, to a text message from uh, one of our bosses, Randy Brickley, saying, "Hey, uh, think we can get you on HQ to talk about, uh, uh you know, Steve Offord. And I was like, "Ooh, I better check Twitter real quick." And then, of course, um, there it was. Um. Listen, whatever, like I said on the previous podcast, if you want to pull the trigger in December or January or February or any time before the end of the season, if you genuinely believe it is um, best for the program, best for the current student athletes, if you really think you've got a roster talented enough to go to the NCAA tournament, but that roster had detached for whatever reason from Steve and would not respond to him going forward, hadn't been responding to him clearly, but another person, perhaps even Murray Barto would be able to you know uh, get something out of them that Steve just what hadn't done or, or wasn't going to do fine with me like you know this is big boy stuff Steve's gonna get nearly four million dollars to to walk away. It's a big business and sometimes um you know big business decisions aren't always fair for all parties involved. I, I told you on the last podcast if if Ucla decides to pull the trigger midseason I would not write the column that says, um, how could they do this and i did not write that column but i did write a column and one of the points i make in that column is that i totally get it you know th- this is uh somebody who had you know strung together heralded recruiting classes one after another after another and the, the the teams had been wildly inconsistent you know even you know when they got to some of these sweet 16s they weren't one of the best 16 teams in the country. And obviously last season was a little underwhelming, although they did actually make the NCAA tournament. And this season was disastrous. Um, so I, I get it. But when you take a step back and you go that, and, and, and you acknowledge that, and I looked this up earlier today, there are only nine men in the country who have coached in at least three of the past five Sweet 16s. Only nine.
1: That's more than I would have guessed, Parrish.
0: Um, Boy, like I had to go through every Sweet 16 for the past five seasons and like make notes and figure it out. I actually like went about trying to look it up just by off the top of my head and then Googling, you know, and I actually got the list completely right before I double-checked it with the actual brackets, but it's nine. And the nine are John Calipari and Mark Few, who have both been to four of the past five Sweet 16s. They're the only two that's that's gotten to four. Nobody's gotten to five. Um, so it's John Calipari, Mark Few, John Beeline, Bob Huggins, Mike Shishovsky, Sean Miller, Bill Self, Roy Williams, and Steve Alford. Like none of the, like none of those guys are in any kind of job security problems, except for Sean. But it had nothing to do, and he's not anymore. But you know, Sean's had nothing to do with actual basketball stuff it was all off the court stuff and so eight of those guys are in a great spot and Steve Alford is is fired on New Year's Eve and again I'm not saying it's it's the wrong thing to do but one of the points I've consistently made about the UCLA fan base and to a lesser extent the Indiana fan base when it turned on Tom Crean is that there's a pretty well documented history at this point of just nothing being good enough you know like and, and it doesn't mean that Steve Alford was good enough it just means that I, I don't know what they could get that that would satisfy the demands they place on a basketball coach you know Ben Hallen was at UCLA for 10 seasons he made the NCAA tournament in seven of his final nine years won four Pac-12 regular season titles made three final fours and in his last season enrolled the nation's number two recruiting class won the Pac-12, played faster than anybody else in the Pac-12, not good enough. You know, they just decided that's not good enough. So they fire him. And I know it was more complex than that. There are some people, including our friend Jeff Eisenberg, who is, is more closely connected to the program, and and I, I completely respect his opinion. He is of the opinion that they just had to fire Ben Hallen no matter what. They had to move on. And, and that's fine, but I'll just say, you know, like, I, I on the day you did it, I didn't think you'd be better off without Ben Hallen. And they're not better off without Ben Hallen. I mean, they might be in some ways that uh, aren't visible, but it, it'd be hard to argue UCLA's in a better place right now without Ben Hallen than it would have been or than it was with Ben Hallen. But whatever, they fire him. And then they hire a guy who, you know, twist it however you want, but it is a fact, went to three sweet 16s in his first five years. Not good enough. So now you fire him, and you're off once again looking for something that probably won't satisfy you. And I do think that's a real issue um, with that fan base. I'm not here to tell anybody how to feel. I'm just saying when you've got decades now of coach after coach after coach failing to meet your expectations, it it may not be a coach problem as much as it's an expectation problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely don't disagree with you at all on this. Um if you look at the way things end with UCLA coaches since John Wooden, whether it's through resignation or outright firings, it's never good uh, ever. Um so
0: <laughs> which by the way is a reason I don't think anybody with a good job will take the UCLA job. It's just it's it, it's it just it doesn't end well for anybody. So why would it
1: end well for you? Right. So uh, UCLA's fan base, parts of it, um, y- you know, they can have these high standards. And that's fine. Like, UCLA itself has, should have its own high standards. I get all that. But when you have now cultivated a certain atmosphere around your program that will make legitimate candidates, good candidates, candidates for top 20 jobs— just think think a little bit longer about whether they want to take that because of how things have ended. Then yeah, some of it will be uh, on on it will, the people that are supporting the the program in the most steadfast of ways, I mean, it just is what it is. It's not like Kentucky, where Kentucky, uh, you know, it's such a pressure packed situation. And they have high expectations, and Cal's won a national championship into Final Fours. I get all of that. But there there seems to be more of an embrace there. Like, even now, like, they got sick of Tubby Smith. But there is, if, if you hear from Kentucky fans in person, online, wherever, and I've had those conversations in both those realms, Parish, there is a warmth to Tubby now in retrospect that, was not as prominent once he left. And you. as we mentioned on a previous podcast, even the Patino stuff, it's still raw for a lot of people, and I think some will never get over it. But even now, Patino, after having coached at Louisville and Cal stumping for him to return, there's more there. There's not going to be any friendly reunions with Steve Alford a decade from now if the next coach wins two national championships. It's just not going to happen. Um, so yeah, you kind of feel like you're walking into a little bit of a snake pit there at UCLA. And... Uh, you're never going to recapture the 1960s into the 1970s. I, I think everyone realizes that. Even the even the most diehard Bruin fans realize that. It's not happening. You hope that you can bring in a coach who can get you into relevancy on an annual basis, make the NCAA tournament essentially almost every season, and then you hope every one to three to four years, you hope... It won't happen, but you hope that you can make a Final Four or be a reasonable pick to do so, and I would say that would qualify you as a top-10 team in college basketball. Who's the coach that's going to be able to do that? Are you going to be able to get that kind of coach now in light of what's happened to Alfred here? It remains to be seen, but I don't think the UCLA job is like any other job in college basketball in terms of I would still define it as a blue blood. Some might, but I still do because it's got such a strong history. Its location is is big time, in a major conference, flagship program, um, has gone to Final Fours since the Wooden era under multiple coaches. Um, There's still a lot of glamour there. You're near a recruiting base that is just so fertile. I understand that you know what Wooden did is is incredible and it's almost standalone. But I still think UCLA is a blue blood program. Um, so if you can get that operating at the highest of levels, then yeah, you can return it to promise. And I'd love to see it. By the way, like it would be just good for college basketball. On, uh, just get UCLA back to where it is fun to watch, competing at a top ten level. I just don't know. Don't know if it's going to happen. And and in some ways, I. Some might say that it's already been decided that it's not that, but I almost feel like this hire and whatever happens with this next coach, like this is it. Like who you get, who's in there, let's look up in five, six years, see what that coach has done. And if UCLA is still basically what it was under Alford and maybe even a little bit under Halland, but we know what Halland did, Parrish. But if it's still kind of this – then I think we'd knock it from that that top tier and it, it would kind of be a come to Jesus moment for the uh, for the UCLA backers to realize that, you know what, maybe it just at this point your school is not what you think it is or what you want it to be. It will be a second tier. Good job, not a great job. I still put it on the top tier, but I do think this is a pivotal hire.
0: Uh, I'm not sure exactly who they're hiring who they're going to hire. You're not either. Nobody is. We will get into that uh, conversation here momentarily. but here here's my prediction that whoever they hire, Unless the guy has UCLA operating like one of the five best programs in America consistently. Like if we look up over a five-year period and we say, who's done the most in college basketball over the past five years? Like if we did it for the previous five years, we'd we'd throw Villanova in there, maybe Gonzaga in there, you know, whomever. Um, North Carolina might be in there. But if we we had that same conversation in, uh, you know, 2023, we say, who's had the best five years over the past 5 years in college basketball. Unless UCLA is on that list, the fan base will not be happy with the coach that they ha- have hired. And if that's going to be where you set the bar, you're not going to be happy with anybody. Like you're almost never going to be happy with anybody. I should I should I should put it that way. And I'm not here to again to defeat, defend Steve Alford. Like this was a disaster and he's gone. Congratulations if that's what you wanted. I never thought you should have hired him. So like I'm not here to say you should have kept him. But what the reaction's been interesting because you know when I tweeted that there were only 9 men who had coached in at least 3 of the past 5 Sweet 16s and Steve Alford's one of them. The reaction from UCLA fans is basically like, "Well, that's Sweet 16s. That's what we ought to be doing anyway." Well, no. Like only 9 coaches have done it. In the entire country, <laughs> and 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 they just say think that that's something you should take for granted. And I know they snuck into some of this. They like it wasn't awesome team Sweet Sixteen, awesome team Sweet Sixteen, awesome team. It was like mediocre team. Oh wow, a shot went in. Oh wow, that's a goaltend. Oh wow, they got a nice draw. Um, and then they ended up in the Sweet Sixteen. And I know it didn't go further than the Sweet Sixteen. So there's no Elite Eight, Final Four, whatever. But um you know i would say the majority of ucla fans who have responded to me in any way they reject the idea that simply going to a sweet 16 is an accomplishment and i just think that's a bad place to set the bar like when you can't acknowledge that it doesn't suck to go to sweet 16s consistently literally more often than not then i think you got to you got a little bit of a problem, and then because here's what they'll say: As ah, Sweet 16, with the kind of recruits we were getting, Sweet 16 the bare minimum anybody should do. And perhaps that's true, but like, not every coach would maybe get these recruits. I, I know that you have a lot of advantages recruiting to UCLA, and Lonzo fell into his lap. I got all that, but I've never understood when when fans dock a guy for not doing enough with the talent enough enough relative to what they think ought to be done and without giving the guy credit for getting the talent and then i've i've never understood with rare exception of setting these standards where um what most people would conclude is successful you say that's not really anything to to be proud of you know when you start saying sweet 16s don't mean anything to me I think you've got a little bit of an expectation problem.
1: There is an expectation problem at UCLA. You mentioned the nine who've done it. I think the over-under is four and a half at the nine guys. Well, Let's call it eight, so I'll say three and a half is the over-under for 2019 of of the names you listed that will make the Sweet 16 this season. Things just don't break your way. It's just getting to the Sweet 16, it's only two wins, but it's more than two wins in a lot of ways, which is why making a Final Four, it's only four wins, but yet it's really, really, really hard to do it and to do it multiple times. Uh, The pressure of March, the teams you're facing up against and when you can do it and create some sort of pattern, no matter how that pattern breaks, uh, it it is worth noting. And by the way, yeah, Alfred did have really good recruiting classes, so it works both ways. You can say that he was a letdown with his inability to uh, get more wins and and stay highly ranked in the polls. I get all that, win a Pac-12 championship. Uh, But at the same time, coaching a lot of it, 50% Fifty percent or more of it is recruiting in college, and he was able to, with that staff, um, land some uh, some bitty, b- pretty big recruits uh, during an era which there were a lot of big schools, obviously as they always are. But in particular, over the past half decade, poking around his backyard in Southern California and trying to get uh, some major players there. So, I it was it was going to end here with Alfred. I, no business being seven and six, let alone not making the NCAA tournament with that roster. That's a major letdown, and. You just can't. You can't have it like this. Once, once the fan base has turned on you so aggressively, it always had, but it was just, it was spinning sideways. The AD Dan Guerrero opted to uh, to pull the plug entirely midseason. It is uncommon. We almost never have a major job, and I'm talking major job, top, not even top five, top ten. I'm talking like top 25 job open like this with a firing in December. Not, not, uh, not usual at all. And so now the candidates will line up, and it will be intriguing. I mean, we are way early on this. Okay, it'll be intriguing to see who actually develops um, momentum toward potentially getting that job, and what what's done behind the scenes in the coming weeks.
0: Um, the the point you made about the fans is another point I made in, in the column, which is really a lesson for any coach with an intense fan base. Is like once you lose them. If you never get them, you got a problem. You never win them over, that's a problem. But if you do win them over and then you lose them at some point, you just, you're on the hot seat and you're never getting off. Once your fans decide you're not the right guy for the job, you're you're almost always, you know, your next bad season away from getting fired. It happened to Tom Crean at Indiana, and now it's happened to Steve Offord at UCLA. And um, the truth is, I, I think Tom actually had the fan base at one point. Um, and then lost it, and then you know he wins a Big Ten outright regular season title, but then the next season injury induced um, loss after loss after loss, and boom, they got it. The fans had turned on him. Uh, with Alfred, I don't even know if he ever had the fan base. That was a problem. And so it doesn't mean that he should have left for some other job. You know, he made a lot of money and and had five uh, again. I said it on the last podcast. I think pretty good years. You know, five like when you. First five years, you go to three sweet 16s like that, you know, it's funny because people will say, yeah, but some of those years they weren't very good. I think two of the three years, you know, the teams weren't excellent. Um, Like, I hear you, but like, let's just then decide what we're going to do, because when a guy has a great regular season and loses in the first round of the tournament, we don't focus on the regular season. We just focus on the tournament. If we and then the guy has a mediocre regular season, but then makes a run in the tournament. Well, now you want to point to the mediocre regular season. Like, I don't care what you pick, but just, like, pick one and be consistent. Uh, I think three sweet 16s in a five-year period is, is pretty good. It's frankly better than I thought Steve Offer would do um, uh, at, at UCLA. But either way, um, you know, once your fans turn on you, you you got, you know, good luck trying to survive it. And, and Steve learned that uh, the hard way on New Year's Eve. You um, – allowed me to write about just sort of the Steve offered termination while you focused on uh, candidates for the UCLA job. And you listed 10 guys. I'm going to break them down into two categories. Uh, one category is guys I just don't think would take the job. And the other guy category, and it features eight names, uh, of guys that I think are totally reasonable options to explore. So let's start with two guys you listed that I just obviously I think would be great there. They're just not taking the job. One's Tony Bennett uh, at Virginia just not going to take the job. Why would you? And the others, Mike Bray at Notre Dame, just will not take the job. Why would you? So let's, as long as I think you mostly agree on those, let's take them, set them over here. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the names are Earl Watson, Fred Hoiberg, Eric Musselman, Chris Beard, Kelvin Sampson, Jamie Dixon, Mike White, Mike Hopkins. Yes or no? One of those eight men that you mentioned will be the next head coach at UCLA.
1: I will say yes. I will say yes. One of the one of the eight that uh, that you just rattle off there will uh, will wind up in Westwood, although I do love a good coaching search that winds up with a, a surprise late candidate. And uh, I think with this job, because of a lot of what we've detailed on the previous podcast and over the previous 20 minutes, Parrish, I do want to note uh, and be explicit here, I think the potential for that to happen in this search is real. And if we look up in three weeks and there might be a name out there that wasn't on, on the list that uh, we put up on CBSSports.com, it would not surprise me. Uh, I agree. Bray has been brought up so almost compelled just to include him on the list but I don't think there's any shot that he goes to UCLA. He recently did a deal. I think he wants to retire in South Bend. He's now the program's all-time leader in wins. He's got a great contract and I just don't see that. Uh, ben and I included for the same reasons I mentioned on the previous podcast. If you're Dan Guerrero you just have to make the call. You should just see if he would be interested in uh, moving back across the country and having success there. He was awesome in the Pac-12 but he does have a good thing at Virginia. The thing you sell him on is the amount of recruits there and you're not battling up against a hall of famer after hall of famer after hall of famer the league just isn't as good you can uplift the league and you can be the face of the league given that college basketball coaches are the face of the sport well you'd be the face of our conference don't really think Bennett cares much about that but uh but I did feel compelled to put him on the list nonetheless real quick okay go ahead ben, ben, by the way um like that is the type of thing that would bother me
0: about not being at Duke or North Carolina in the ACC is that you are dealing with Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer like the Carolina job is better than you and they got a Hall of Fame coach the Duke job is better than your job and they got a Hall of Fame coach the Louisville job is better than your job and they've got a tremendous coach And Chris Mack had a Hall of Fame coach before him you're looking up at a lot of people except it doesn't phase tony bennett at all he's already shown year after year after year even though his job isn't those jobs and his recruiting classes don't match those recruiting classes he has no problem competing at the top of the league so the the thing if i were the virginia coach somebody other than tony bennett i would look incredibly strongly at the ucla opportunity but once, Tony, like Tony's, just great. Like once he's already established himself at Virginia, um, cr- you know, create created a fan base that appreciates the way he does things and the way he plays. And he's already shown that I don't have to go get one and done players to compete with North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, Syracuse, anybody else. What are you going to a place that fires all their coaches for?
1: Yeah, no, th- th- completely, completely. You'd have to have. Uh... The contract would have to be incredible and you'd kind of want to have to have a fresh start. And I actually think with with those kind of situations, it's it's much about um, what your wife or significant other says. And, you know, if you think that it's time to rejuvenate in, in some sort of way, that's when you do it. I don't think so. But, again, if I'm Dan Guerrero, I'm getting, I'm trying to get Tony Bennett on the phone just to talk to him, just to see if I can get momentum. I'll try and rattle off those names uh, you mentioned real quick, GP. Uh, start from the bottom up. Uh, Hopkins at Washington. He, I know he just got there, but he's originally from uh, the greater L.A. area. His family's down there. He's got an ailing father. And if Washington was able to win the league this season, you know, he does have – uh, two decade track record of recruiting well at a very tough spot at Syracuse under Jim Bayheim. He's faced like big program pressure, been at UCLA basketball. Don't think that he's going to get it, but, uh, you know, was told that he's at least worth a, a passing glance at this point. Mike White, I mentioned him on the previous podcast. I think it would take a lot to pry Mike White away from Florida. I think he really very much loves it there. But the reality is, as long as Mike White is able to keep Florida relevant in the NCAA tournament, uh, in an or near the top 25 on an annual basis. His name is going to come up for jobs that are in that top 20 realm. Um, Earl Watson has a certain buzz to it. I don't have as much of a grasp on Earl because I don't know him. Now, he he's connected to the grassroots area in a major way, and that's significant. I, I don't think we can overstate that, Parrish. Uh, never coached in college, was the Phoenix Suns coach. From what I gather... Um, have a buddy who actually follows UCLA fairly closely. The fan base is kind of split on the prospect of him leading that program. Some would be inspired by it. Others think that absolutely not. They want someone with uh, college experience. I do think he gets an interview no matter what. It's a matter of what happens there. Jamie Dixon now at TCU from LA. Close with Ben Howland. Don't know if that means anything. Personally, I don't think it should mean anything anything whatsoever, Um, has a good contract and a good situation at TCU. It's just TCU is nothing compared to UCLA. Now he's doing great at TCU. It's his alma mater. Um, I think behind the scenes, Jamie would absolutely listen. Uh, Don't know if he'd go. And I don't know where he would fall in the hierarchy of like, okay, who's call one, who's call two, who's call three, who's call four. Jamie, in my opinion, should be in the top four or five calls. He's proven at this point that he's worthy of it. Um, Just kind of wait and see and and him like a few other coaches on the list including Kelvin Sampson they're in the middle of good seasons so yeah this work is done behind the scenes but a lot of this you're not going to get real movement on until you get to March Sampson I mentioned on the previous podcast I don't want to totally rehash it but he's the only coach on my list who has been to a final four and if you're UCLA and you're so worried about what you do in the tournament and getting getting uh to that ultimate stage well Sampson has decades of experience has coached at a blue blood okay Uh, was you know not quite up to par. It's it's fair to say, but overall he has 591 career wins. I don't know, man. GP with with how good Houston has been um, and how I don't know if you would say his career is distinguished, but I don't know. He he got a quick glimpse at Indiana. Then it, then you know arcane rules got him out of there. Um, was good at Oklahoma. I just I I definitely think he's worth a phone call. Uh, Chris Beard has been good. I, you just hear his name. I don't know how legitimate it is at this point, but he's still young. And he's, you know, he's, I don't, he loves that Texas check job. But if you say you can go give it a go at UCLA if Chris Beard, how do you not even just take the call and, and look into it? And then the final two, Musselman and Hoyberg. Musselman has never stayed at one place longer than where he is at Nevada right now from a coaching perspective. So he's almost bound and due to move. Uh, I don't think he would be at the top of UCLA's list, but if Nevada goes like 30, Three and three at the end of the season, like obviously, like just West Coast. They're going to do that. Yeah, they're gonna do it. Yeah, I say if like it's going to happen, so you really owe to yourself to to interview him. Um, we'll see with some of these guys. The process we should we can't won't get down to on the on the podcast now. Um, is is the interview process and sometimes how much that does or doesn't mean. Uh, stuff when it comes to getting a job. And there are varied personalities here and how they mesh with Guerrero and you know, Bob Myers, who's a UCLA alumnus, played on the 95 championship team, GM of the Golden State Warriors. I think that's going to have an influence and it's why I would put Hoiberg as my front runner right now. I don't know how good the relationship is between Fred Hoiberg and Bob Myers, but you're talking NBA MBA to NBA at that point. If Hoiberg wants the job, I feel like it's his to turn down. If he wants it, does he want to go out West? He obviously can. I mean, Completely different generations, but John Wooden was once a Midwest guy, and then he moved to UCLA and almost didn't take the job, if I recall correctly. Seth Davis wrote a very in-depth biography a couple years ago on on The Man. I do recommend checking it out. But like this whole idea that, like oh, he's not from that area, I think that is so person-to-person specific. But for all we know, Fred and his lovely family and wife, they love their Midwest ties, and they don't see themselves living in L.A. He doesn't want to deal with the hassles of recruiting, but... At this stage, I would put Hoiberg as the front runner. I've also heard that he's considered the front runner by some industry sources, so he is my top choice. But for all we know, we look up in three weeks, and Hoiberg has said on the record that uh, he's interested in coaching, but not next season. And then everything changes. So that was, I hope, a not too long explanation of the ten guys that I currently have on the list. You can read more about it, obviously, right now at cbsports.com. Felt a, felt a little long. If you want to know the truth. Well, now you know what it's like to uh, do a podcast to do <laughs> on this. I, don't I know, know what to tell you, man. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: on on the, that list that you produced, um, I'd say Earl Watson, Fred Hoyberg, Eric Musselman, um, all uh, make some sense to me. Um, a little above everybody else on the list. Um, you know, Jamie Dixon is obviously great, but just trust me, uh, All every bad thing you could hear about Dan Guerrero or UCLA or Bill Walton or anything to do with that university, he's heard it from Ben Hallen. Um, so I don't, I don't know that Jamie would, after watching what happened to Ben. Whether you agree with what happened to Ben or not, like after watching what happened to Ben and the way that went down, I don't know if you're Jamie Dixon if you're anxious to jump into that. Uh, similarly, like if you're UCLA and you decided you hated Ben Hallen, I don't know why you'd like Jamie Dixon. So mm-hmm. I, I just, I'd, I'd be surprised. Chris Beard's terrific, but um, again, I, I think on your list, Watson, Hoyberg, Musselman make the most sense. To your point about. You know, does he have West Coast ties? It is the most, uh, re- the the most exaggerated thing that people yeah. bring up. Overstated.
1: Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah.
0: this does not matter. Like, uh, you know, what's John Calipari's ties to the South before he got the Memphis job? Yeah. None. Like he didn't have any. What about Rick Patino before he got the Kentucky job? what about Eric Musselman before he got, I mean, and I know Musk worked out in in California in the NBA, but like great coaches will be successful wherever you place them. It, 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 you know, Andy Infield had no West coast connections. He just hired West coast guys. And now he's got top two recruiting class getting set to enroll in 2019. Like it just, I, I don't care where somebody's from. I don't care where somebody's worked. The great ones, they tend to work well wherever you hire them. Geography uh, almost never matters. So uh, there are a lot of things I would consider if I were conducting a coaching search. If somebody has L.A. ties or West Coast ties or Pac-12 ties, that just uh, wouldn't be one of them. Uh, two guys that we discussed on the last podcast that you did not list that I would have listed, Greg Marshall and Rick Patino. And I swear, I, like I said on the last podcast, I don't think UCLA would do it, but... Man, I could really talk myself into Rick Patino. He's a star in a city of stars. Um, again, he his last three jobs, Providence, Kentucky, and Louisville. He's taken all three to the Final Four within four years. So, like, the track record's tremendous. And I know that, you know, the scandals ended his time at at Louisville, but he still, to this moment, has never been directly tied to anything. And so all that means is that he was running a program that had – either an assistant operating outside of the rule book or a shoe company trying to help it really doesn't make him any different than Bill Self or Andy Enfield or uh, Sean Miller or perhaps Mark Turgeon. And I know that the details matter like stripper parties is pretty ugly. Um, But you know, there are men all over this country who have been in charge of programs that operated outside of the rule book, but they, they survived it. Because they were not directly tied to anything. I'm not somebody who tells you Louisville should have kept Rick because I felt like one scandal after another scandal after another scandal, it's time just to go. But it it, it doesn't make him unhirable. And if I were UCLA, I would look strongly at Rick Pitino because I do think he would be able to – He he's the most sure thing on that list. Like like Earl Watson could be great. Fred Hoiberg could be great. Yes, Musk could be great. Pitino would be great. There's no doubt in my mind. I would look at it. I don't know that they will. Um, but I would I would definitely look at it. Jeff Goodman put together a list um of candidates as well.
1: A list? It's a novella. Like
0: I mean <laughs> <laughs> like here's the only thing I don't understand about these lists. Like, he put Jay Wright on it and I, then uh, said Jay Wright wouldn't take it. Well so, then what do we do?
1: That's doing? why honestly, Paris, that's <laughs> why like no, why, well, I just, I just don't think that. Wants- I, that's why I didn't put Patino on it because I don't think we're going to lead to a circumstance where he would take the job or get the job offered. The job. That's the only reason why. Because I, I agree put, with a lot of people. Take the job. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't I, think he's going to. I don't think that situation is going to rise. If it does, awesome. I'm, I'm, as I said in the po- previous podcast, I am so in on Rick Patino coaching UCLA. Are you kidding me? But I don't think we're going to get there. So that's why I didn't put him on. Yeah, but like Jay Wright is not taking the
0: UCLA job. So like I don't think he belongs on any list. He's not taking the job. Like if, if we're gonna do a list of guys who would be great at UCLA but who would not but would not take the job under any circumstances, hell, let's just throw Brad Stevens on it. Steve Kerr. <laughs> Steve Kerr. Bob Myers Steve. is running the search. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like Jay Wright's not taking the job. Get him off your stupid list. Um Billy Donovan.
1: No, what I no, again, I sorry. He's not I, not that, taking the job. Come on.
0: Like Oklahoma City is third in the West right now. Like, if, if he were unemployed, I think he would maybe take the job. But I don't think he's going to be unemployed. So, there's that. Luke Walton, I think, would probably take the job if he were
1: unemployed. But, uh, you know,
0: he's the Lakers coach. He's yeah. got LeBron.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, Lakers, they're also, LeBron, again, they're what, Parrish? Are they fourth, fifth in the West? Like, what are Yeah, we they're, up, they're fine. You yeah. know, LeBron's, uh,
0: you know, banged up a little bit. But they're, they're fine. Although, like, LeBron coaches do get fired. Of course. But... but like, if he's unemployed, perhaps he looks at the job if he can't get anything else in the NBA. But I don't think he's going to be unemployed. So, whatever. Um, Goodman also lists Kevin Keats, who I think would be tremendous. I don't know whether he'd take the job, but too I, he's so, uh, obviously it's, it's been too tremendous. Soon. It's just too uh, soon.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not seeing that.
0: Yeah. I I'd, Listen, I think they'll hire one of the guys we've already mentioned before they get here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm not. I wouldn't be fundamentally against Kevin Keats. I think he's been tremendous everywhere he's been so far. Um, Mick Cronin, I think, would be good, but I don't love the fit. Yeah. And, and Buzz Williams, I think, would be good, but I would worry about the the fit. Those are all people on Goodman's list, and he settled on the guy he thinks is going to take it is or, or who would who would ultimately get it, Bobby Hurley, which would be fine with me. Bobby's tremendous, um, has been tremendous. Um, but you know, it's I, I I I think they'll hire somebody off that first list before they get to uh, Bobby Hurley, Buzz Williams, Mick Cronin, Kevin Keats, so on and so forth. I would I would assume right now the next head coach at UCLA is going to be Earl Watson or Fred Hoiberg.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, good God, we are the worst. I mean, we try. We I know we still got to get to these games, Parish. We were going to try and wrap this in thirty minutes. We are 37 minutes into this podcast right now on New Year's Eve. I'm all for it, but I just can't. But sometimes, you know, as we transition to the games here, one more thanks to the listeners for a great 2018. You guys have been awesome. And we do enjoy doing this podcast, but I looked up a couple minutes ago thinking we were like 22, 23 minutes in, and we were 34 minutes. So uh, hopefully you enjoy the discussion, because uh, we very much do, do, but I know our wives right now are counting down the minutes. So let's get to uh, the games that are forthcoming here.
0: All right. There are a handful of games over the next few days and, that are interesting. We're going to get to them in just a second, but first, uh, check check this out. Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Like I said, a handful of games over the next few days. I wanted to touch on just a few of them. We'll take them in the order in which they will be played. On Tuesday night, we get our favorite team. Number 16, Marquette at St. John's. Can St. John's beat Marquette uh, at home, or are they going to take it an now and Marquette fans are going to blow up my Twitter feed again?
1: That's what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it, Marquette's going to win. Marquette's going to win, I'll say, 82-76, and the Twitter feed's going to blow up.
0: Yeah, you know, for the top twenty-five and one purposes, like I really need Chris Mullen to get this done. <laughs> like, I, it, and I would. How about this? I wouldn't even punish Marquette for losing the game at St. John's, or I might not. I better not. I better not speak in absolutes because these Marquette fans—they—they—they they, they quote every word I say these days. Yeah. So I—I I don't know what I would do if Marquette lost the game. But if Marquette wins, I'm in a tough spot because nobody else of relevance is playing a, a meaningful game between now and then. So then, it, like I'm gonna have to jump him up at some point.
1: You're going to. And before we get to the next game, real quick, Marcus Howard's just a baller. Has had an awesome, awesome December. Um, I, you know, I would put him among the top. Five to seven candidates for national player of the year at this stage with how with how good he's been. Um, 45 against Buffalo. Most recent game, he had 26 against Southern. But before that, I mean, 26 North Dakota, 27 against Wisconsin. He had 43 against Kansas State to start December. So uh, just a fantastic run for him overall. And he is progressing to his mean from a three-point uh, shooting uh, standpoint. He was much worse from his career average earlier in the year. And now, as we look up, turning into 2019, he's at 43.4% from deep. Wouldn't shock me if, at all if we look up at the end of the season. He's actually crept up to uh, to about 45% from beyond the arc.
0: He's been terrific. Marquette's been really good. You know, we've we spent probably more time than we planned on Marquette in recent podcasts. But I, I will say this, that if, if Marquette goes and wins at St. John's, I will react accordingly. Uh, with the top 25 and one, the, the resume will, the, the resume I acknowledge is better than where I have them ranked right now. And a win at St. John's would, would only enhance that. And so, uh, if, if Marquette is able to go win at St. John's, it would be a terrific road win. And, um. Yeah, I'll respond appropriately in the top 25 and one. On Wednesday night, you get number 24, Nebraska at Maryland. Nebraska has been a little off the radar, but they're 11-2. and two. They're ranked 15th at Ken Palm. They've already won at Clemson. And so this is an interesting game because, you know, they jump into the national rankings, and now they're on a big stage against Maryland. But also because, and I was thinking about this earlier, you know, Maryland's been a little bit of a disappointment so far this season. And I really do think if you're trying to look around the country and find the closest thing to Steve Alford at UCLA, in other words, a coach who has done okay and yet has never really been loved or embraced by the fan base, is it Mark Turgeon at Maryland?
1: Yeah, but it's more muted at Maryland. Um, Strong fan base, undeniably. Um, And... yeah.
0: Mark's in his eighth season right now. He's made three of the past four NCAA tournaments, went to the Sweet 16 in 2016, enrolled the seventh-ranked recruiting class in the country. And, I, you know, because of Twitter, social media, we are um, available to fan bases, you know, 24 hours a day. It, I, we don't respond to everybody, but it's hard not to notice when somebody tweets you. Um, and I hear, you know, Maryland fans just do not seem happy with Mark Turgeon. And really, have never seemed happy with Mark Turgeon. I I think he's the closest thing. His relationship with his fan base is the closest thing to what Steve had with the UCLA fan base.
1: Um, I think I think that's relatively close. This team is talented. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in this game. But if it loses, you know, Maryland just, as you said, a little bit of letdown. They haven't done a ton. Uh, don't have a win of note this season, to be honest. There's nothing that they could hang their hat on to this point. Beating Nebraska would be the first one. Lost to Virginia. Only three losses, but they were the three best teams they played. Uh, home to Virginia, home to Seton Hall, and they lost in Big Ten League play back at the start of December. They lost at Purdue only by two. An understandable loss, but still, you're three against your top three opponents. you got a little bit of a, a Kentucky of 10 days ago thing going on. But Anthony Cowan, Jalen Smith, a top team, 15 freshman in, in the country right now, in my, in my opinion. Uh, Bruno Fernando, obviously really, really talented as well. Um, this is one Maryland borderline needs, and you know what? I'm gonna give it to him. I'll uh, I'll take the Terps to win this game on Wednesday night, um, and I don't think it'll be super close. I'll take them along the lines of say 74-67, and uh, they enter into the general interest conversation within the Big Ten because they uh, they are they've been basically faceless to this point in the season.
0: Yeah, I think Maryland wins the game as well. But if Nebraska could pull this off and move to 12 and two with wins at Clemson and at Maryland. Um, that that's that's a pretty terrific start to this season for um, for Tim Miles' team. Also on Wednesday we've got number eleven Texas Tech at West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is eight and four. Segaba uh, Kanate, not expected to play. He's got a knee injury. He's missed the past three games. Um, and if you're West Virginia, like this is super important. And here's why. Obviously, because like you're off to an 8-4 and start. That's not good. Preseason top 25 team that you correctly identified as somebody that was overrated in the preseason. But three of the four games after this game are road games. At Texas, at Kansas State, at TCU. You can be underdogs in all three of those. So if you lose this one and start 0-1 in Big 12 play, if you're West Virginia, then you are going to be projected to – to probably start the season, one and four in the Big Twelve, and it doesn't mean you can't dig out of that hole, but it ain't
1: easy to do. It's not, and the way that the Big Twelve schedule shakes out is you never get a three-game home stand, West Virginia. So even though this is a rough start, you know you take three, of your first five on the road uh, in league play, you don't you don't hit like a really good stretch where it's like okay, and then at one point you get four out of five at home. It's not going to be like that. So this is a crucial one to start the conference. Can we at least try and stop the bleeding and get this kind of win? It's I'm going to keep up with predictions on this podcast because we have, but I will take Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech is a better team uh, markedly here. Um, but given that it's in West Virginia, I do think it will be close. The styles of both teams I think will make for an interesting game. Um, I, I don't know. 75-71 Texas Tech, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think Texas Tech wins. Uh, not having Kanate as a difference maker, home Tech court Tech. advantage also a difference maker. But I just think Texas Tech has shown itself so far this season just be a different level than West Virginia. I, I think it'll be close, but I think Texas Tech wins the game on Wednesday. We also have number twenty three Oklahoma at number five Kansas. How crappy! Um, how crappy is it to have to open league play at Kansas? <laughs> It's like it's like the the schedule makers just go ahead and decide you're going to start zero one in your league. I
1: know. Yeah. To be fair though, Kansas did drop three home games last season, uh, so that building has has uh, some of the force field has come down around it. But new season, uh, Doke is now back as a rookie for KU. Oklahoma can afford to lose the game. We're both going to pick Kansas, obviously, but Oklahoma um, with uh, with seven good to great wins so far this season did what it needed to do in non league play. To give itself some insurance here, uh, because it's it's Kansas now. Home to OSU, that is Oklahoma State, of course, on Saturday, and then you turn around and you got to go play Texas Tech. Oklahoma's staring down the barrel of a 1-2 and two start in the league, but even after that, if it does wind up being that way, they're still going to be relatively well positioned in the greater hierarchy of college basketball. I still think if they go 1-2, and two, they'll have one of the 20 best resumes in the sport. just to, They've gotten so many good wins away from home, so many good wins, period. I don't think this will be too close. Uh, I'm going to take Kansas by double digits.
0: Yeah, I think Kansas wins it by double digits. Having Dope back is just a big deal. and You saw that in his first game back against Eastern Michigan. I think he had 23 points, 9 rebounds in like 20 minutes, was 10 of 13 from the field. Um, He is not their best player, but he allows them to do things on the offensive end of the court that they otherwise just don't even try to do. Like, um, you know, the way Bill Self described it's like we we can run things with Dope that we can't run without him. And so – in that little stretch where he was out, Kansas wasn't able to to play the way it wants to play. Now that he's back and clearly like um, healthy and effective, you know, if if he, if I, I didn't expect him to be that sharp uh, in his first game back, but he clearly was, um, so there's no reason to think uh, game two of his return will be any different. When um, when you've got him as an option, it just opens up other options, and so yeah, I think Kansas wins this game double digits that that makes sense to me and let's wrap this up with thursday uh one game i jotted down here minnesota at number 22 wisconsin minnesota off the radar i think but they are 11 and 2 uh with the win over that nebraska team that is obviously good only losses are true road losses one at ohio state no shame in that the other one at boston college that ain't great especially considering bc earlier today uh lost to to hartford um but you know, still, if Minnesota and I like Richard's team, and they're finally healthy now, um, if Minnesota can can go win at Wisconsin, that's a Wisconsin team that's coming off the loss to Western Kentucky. That would be a a super impressive win that'll move them to twelve and two, and and push them one step closer to possibly making the NCAA tournament.
1: Minnesota's got a good roster, talented roster. Thought this would be a top forty team. Um, I'm not really moving off that at all. Uh, Jordan Murphy walking double double. They've got a really good freshman. Um, Daniel Oturu, undervalued. Uh, maybe not within the league, that, but but nationally, certainly uh, he can really grow into a good player. Love to watch Amir Coffey play. Uh, overall, I like what they have here. I won't take him to win at Wisconsin, particularly because uh, Greg Gard is going to be pissed off. He's pissed off right now. He's pissed off going into 2019. <laughs> not happy coming off that loss. Wisconsin has good talent. It will have the best player on the floor, and Ethan Happ. Um, so I will take Bucky to win. Um, I, th- I think it's got a, a fairly solid chance at being an entertaining Big Ten game, though. And and I say that knowing full well how Wisconsin plays its style. But I think Minnesota, Minnesota will keep it close. I'll, I'll take uh, Wisconsin, what the hell, something like 69-66.
0: Yeah, I just think it's going to be tough to come into the Kohl Center and and beat a, a Wisconsin team that, that is still good, even if it's coming off a pretty disappointing loss at, at Western Kentucky. Not impossible, obviously, but uh, forced to pick a winner. I, I think Wisconsin probably gets back to its winning ways. Uh, with a victory over Minnesota. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Antigo. He's the legend. Shouts to Larn and Remember, if you haven't done so already, please, please make it your New Year's resolution. Go subscribe to the uh, CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast via Apple Podcasts. It only takes a a few seconds to do it. To those of you who have done it, thank you uh, sincerely. If you haven't done it yet, and yeah, feel like you want to because every once in a while we'll break our schedule, right? You might be thinking Sunday night podcast, Wednesday morning podcast, Friday morning podcast. But what happens if we just decide to jump on Monday afternoon and do another one? Then you won't—you might not know unless you subscribed, and it pushes it right into your phone. So there's yet another reason to go subscribe.
1: Please go do that, Norlander. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Paris! Shouts to 2018 too. We can close. We can close with that. Hope you have a safe one. Hope everyone has a safe one. I'm sure we got a few people listening to this. Once it is into 2019, we appreciate you. And uh, here's to a great 2019.
0: Yeah, I ain't leaving my house. So if I don't have a safe New Year's, um, it'll be like something went. Disaster. It was a disaster at my house for some reason. So anyway, fingers crossed. Trying to avoid that. We're gonna talk to you again on Friday. I promise. Till then, take care.